my frustration with the Packers, and maybe Rodgers' frustration too, it's not necessarily tied to one event, but it's simply the entire last 10 years where we're just left thinking, like, figure it out. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. I'd like to start the show with a fishing analogy. It's been a while. I think this is a good one. I think it, it fits what happened with the Milwaukee Brewers last night. So when I go fishing, I normally go with a with a buddy. Right, and I'm, I'm talking about fly fishing, right? So we stand ah, 50 yards, 100 yards apart, right? So we're not talking to each other, but we can see each other. We can give each other a little, little wink and nod if we need something, right? We're, we're in communication. So let's say you hook into a fish, right? You either give your buddy one of two looks. You either look down at your buddy, it's like, yeah, I got one on, but tiny little fish. Easy, don't, even, don't bother coming down here. We're not going to take a picture of it. I don't even need a net. I'm just going to let it go. Tiny, tiny little thing, right? Maybe a nice little six-inch brown chow. Put it back. Bang. That's that's one outcome. The other outcome is when you hook into a, a big gonga and you look down at your buddy and you got that look in, look in your eyes and your buddy goes, oh, boy. We got a live one. All right, we got a big one. Run down, help your friend, get it in the net, get a picture, right? Two very different scenarios. And when you hook into that huge fish, the look on your face is like, oh, boy, strap in. Here we go. I had that look on my face last night at around 10.25 p.m. Because when I was watching that Brewers game, a game that they ended up losing 6-1, to one, I knew, I was like, oh boy, tomorrow's show, uh, it's going to be it's gonna be a wild one. It's going to be a big one. Right? Very similar to hooking into a big fish. You look down at your friend, you're like, here we go. <laughs> oh boy. That's the feeling I had last night. And if I would have been watching with a friend, I would have given them that same look. Let's start with the Brewers. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. The Bucks won last night. The Brewers lost last night. That doesn't really begin to tell the story for either team. We have some juicy conversation to have today, friends. And you're welcome to join in, and I expect you will. 608-796-2558, the talk and text line. Twitter, at Wisco Grant, and I was getting tweets already last night. We're getting texts already. Today's show is going to be a live one uh, because the Brewers lost in such a fashion last night that just kind of demands... Debate, argument, aggression. Last night's Brewers loss uh, was was a live one. It was like hooking into a big fish. I don't just want to talk about the Brewers today. I want to talk about the Packers. The NFL schedule is being released today. It's released in the weirdest of ways. I don't really get it. I'll kind of explain what I mean. And we'll look at some of the notable matchups of the Packers. That we know. I'm not sure if we know it all. It kind of leaks throughout the day. It's a gross visual. We'll talk about the schedule release coming up at 430 Get into more Packers at 5.30. Tyler Dunn did an interview with Ron Wolf yesterday that was just fascinating. And I think a lot of you agree with what Ron Wolf had to say. So if you've been team Packers and you've been kind of old school in the way that you've approached this divide between the Packers and their quarterback, right? I think you're going to like what Ron Wolf has to say. I've been, I think, pretty new age. You got to keep the player happy. You got to placate your star quarterback. And a lot of you have, have disagreed with that. You've said, no, you don't. He's a quarterback. Ron Wolf kind of said the same thing, and I'll share with you some of the words of the former Packers GM, Hall of Famer as well. Uh, that's coming up at 5.30. Uh, also, we need to talk about Bill Michaels and what happened on Bill Michaels' show yesterday uh, because it directly impacts this show. I don't know whether to be happy about this. I don't know whether to be angry. 
But Bill Michaels had a segment yesterday. I could not believe my ears when I heard it. And if you follow me on Twitter, at Wisco Grant, I tweeted about it today. You know exactly what I mean. So that's the one kind of oddball topic throughout the day. Otherwise, all Brewers and Packers. Let's start with the Brewers and last night's loss. Really, really, really frustrating game. Probably the most frustrating loss of the year. Freddie Peralta was fantastic. Seven innings pitched, only one hit, eight strikeouts, no runs. He was awesome. The Brewers held the Cardinals to only two hits through 10 innings. Two hits, 10 innings. You really can't do much better than that. And yet they end up losing 6-1. to one. Now, five of those St. Louis runs came in the top of the 11, so that score is a little bit misleading, right? How does a 6-1 to one game get extra innings? Well, one team scores five in the top of the 11. That's how you end up with that final score. Really frustrating loss. You get an awesome starting pitching performance from Peralta. You get a great bullpen performance going all the way into the 10th inning to the point where you're holding maybe the hottest team in baseball, the Cardinals, who are now eight games over 500. You're holding them to two hits through 10 innings. That's a game you don't win? Sheesh. It's frustrating. And I know, because I have a sense for these things, I know that today is going to be open season on Craig Council. And that's fair. I don't know. I'm Mr. Craig Council. Sorry, I, I like my teams. I want to see them do well, and I believe in our people. God. Sorry, I'm being a little dramatic. Craig Council is a terrific manager, and I compliment him all the time because he deserves compliments. He's the best, in my opinion, but he's not beyond criticism. We talk about Craig Council. It's not like he's my son or my dad. Folks are mad at Craig Council for not bunting in the 10th inning last night because the Brewers' bullpen clears the top of the 10th. Now, all the Brewers had to do to win was get that runner that starts on second base, just need to get that guy home, and they win. Only one run. doesn't matter how you do it. Just get him home. That's all they had to do, and they weren't able to do it. And there was no bunt. They could have bunted. Avi Garcia at the plate could have bunted him over. He had the top of the order coming up. Didn't bunt. Didn't drop it down. Didn't call for it. And people were really, really upset last night. Even people who are anti-bunting. Even people who take a pretty new school approach to baseball. I saw, like, okay, maybe last night was an opportunity to drop a bunt down. And while watching last night and while watching especially the last couple innings, I just knew. People are going to be angry at council. They're going to be mad about the Brewers. And I'm going to have to deal with that today. So let's let's do it. Awesome. Let's get into it. This is going to make for a great conversation. My one request that I have for you and another thing that I tweeted out this morning, if you're going to come at me and you're going to come at Craig Council, all I ask is that you do a good job, okay, and make smart arguments and make logical arguments. Like at least, at least make it challenging for me to refute your argument, right? I tweeted out this morning, like, take some time today to think through things. If you're going to come at Council, like, put together a cohesive argument. Right here, I'll help. I'll give, you, I'll give you a clue on how to do this. The Brewers allowed two hits through 10 innings last night. If you want to rip Craig Council, maybe don't rip him for how he manages pitching and how he manages defense because he's really good at that, and the Brewers have been really good at that. Two hits, 10 innings. You can't really argue with the way that he managed his pitching staff or his defensive alignments last night. Now, if you want to rip Council, here's a clue. Maybe talk about offense. The Brewers struck out 12 times last night. They were 1 of 15 with runners in scoring position and left 12 men on base. If I'm going to call into a radio show like the Wisco Sports Show and complain about a manager, I'd maybe start there. Okay? Here, I'll I'll hand you the car keys. There you go. Go run with that. If you're going to call or text in and be mad about Craig Council today, just just, please use that as ammo. Don't talk about pitching because two hits through 10 innings. Come on. Against a great offense. So there's a clue. There's a little help, a little ammo if you want to get mad today and call or text in or tweet. Okay. I've been painted as the guy who hates bunting. Never bunt. 
Numbers say to not bunt. You're giving away outs. That's old-fashioned way of playing. Never bunt. Never bunt. Never bunt. I'm against bunting 99% of the time. And I, and I do truthfully mean 99% of the time. I don't mean that as hyperbole or as exaggeration. If you give me 100 situations, I'm probably not going to ask for a bunt in more than one, maybe two of them. I mean that 99% literally. I'm against bunting 99% of the time. But you know, and I know, that a baseball season is very long. There's 162 total games. Let's do 162 times 9. See what it gives us. That's uh, 1,458 innings to cover over the... uh, over the course of the season. That's not counting extras. Now, if we take that total and multiply it by three, that's 4,374 at-bats, right? Or no, I'm doing math wrong. You get my point. There's a lot of innings. There's a lot of at-bats. Right? I think I got lost doing math live on air, which I shouldn't have done. But I'm making a point. There's a lot of at-bats. There's a huge sample size we're dealing with. So over the course of a regular season, there's a lot of at-bats. There's going to be situations where bunting may be advantageous. Very rare few and far between. And as my terrible math failed to showcase, there's a lot of at-bats, there's a lot of hits and and outs to be made, okay? I would say 99% of the time I'm against bunting. But 1%, there's room for a 1% in a 162-game season that features 1,458 regular innings. That's not counting extras, okay? There's a solemn, uh, solid argument, excuse me, to be made that last night was the 1%. <laughs> like last night's game, last night's 10th inning, bottom of the 10th inning was the the 1% where maybe a bunt would have been a good idea. I think there's a solid argument to be made. I don't think it's a slam dunk argument. I don't think it's clear and concise, but you could make the argument. Here's here's a couple of reasons why maybe they, they should have bunted last night. I have two good ones, okay? You only needed one run. A big reason why Craig Council has publicly said that he's against bunting in interviews is that sometimes, especially in extra innings, getting that one run across isn't enough. You don't want to put all of your eggs in that basket to just get that one guy across when it might take more than one run to win the game. And that's a that's a great argument. I played that soundbite, what, two weeks ago? Bob Euchre and Craig Council talking in the pregame, and Bob asked him, it's like, hey, you guys never bunt. You don't play small ball. And Craig talks through all of these reasons on why they don't typically bunt, and that's a good example. Extra innings, it might take more than one run. So you don't want to start giving away outs just to get one run that might not end up even being enough, right? Now, in the case of last night, one run was enough. And we knew that for sure because the Brewers had last ups and it was a tie game. If they just get that one run across, the game's over. There's no speculation on maybe possibly needing more than one, needing two or three runs. No, that guy in second was Billy McKinney who started the 10th inning on second base. You get him across and you win. So the argument that one run might not be enough, that doesn't hold up last night, which means maybe maybe bunting to start that inning would have been a good idea. Maybe moving him over, getting him to third base so the top of the order comes up with less than two outs, maybe that was the right call. Maybe, maybe not. But you only needed one run. So you can't use the, uh, the argument the council used a couple weeks ago to avoid a bunt. Another reason that maybe bunting could have worked, right? Craig Council has said repeatedly, and I agree wholeheartedly, that getting a bunt down isn't a guarantee. Hey, everybody thinks that you just go up there and bunt, drop it down. It's not that hard. Well, it, it is hard. It's not a guarantee that it gets down. So I hate the idea of wasting it out, right, bunting a ball foul or popping up a ball. So you're trying to bunt. You can't even get it down, whereas you could have swung away and just ended the game with one swing of an at-bat. 
All right. Yes, getting a bunt down isn't a guarantee, but the spot that was up to start the 10th inning was the pitcher spot. So they could have pinched hit anyone off the bench. Who's the best bunter that you got left in, in, in the bench? Send him up there. Don't send your best hitter, right? Don't send your biggest home run hitter, which the Brewers have very few of right now, so it's fine. Send up Brandon Woodruff. Send up send up Adrian Hauser. I, I don't know. Who's your best bunter? Send him up. They had that flexibility to do so last night, right? They ended up sending Avi Garcia to the plate. And here's the reason why maybe it was the correct choice not to bunt, although the result didn't work out. Colton Wong and Lorenzo Cain were up next. And I hear a lot of people saying today, well, if you get him to third base, you have two of your best hitters, two of your hottest hitters in the on-deck circle coming up next. Okay, but by that logic, we want Wong and Cain to hit away. Wouldn't we then want Avi Garcia to hit away too? Avi Garcia is one of the Brewers' best hottest hitters right now. So if you try to force him to bunt, you're wasting a great opportunity with one of your best hitters who was on the bench and available to go. Avi Garcia puts a double off the wall or even just a single into the outfield. That game's over. So using the logic that Colton Wong and Lorenzo Cain are hot, you got to scoot the run over to give them an opportunity. Well, yeah, Avi Garcia's hot too. So I'd like to see Avi Garcia swing away. That's a, that's a reason maybe that bunting was the wrong choice last night. Craig Council seemed to think so. Another reason, and I think this reason is very, very important, Alex Reyes was on the mound. And Alex Reyes is the Cardinals' closer. He's consistently throwing 96, 97. A lot of movement on his stuff. And he, I mean, he made Lorenzo Cain look silly. Lorenzo Cain is tough as they come. He'll see pitches. He'll battle. He'll fight them off. Alex Reyes made light work of Lorenzo Cain. If Lorenzo Cain can't put the bat to the ball, I, I don't have confidence that anybody can go up there and lay down a successful bunt. That ball was moving. It's not easy to bunt against a pitcher like that. Another thing Craig Council alluded to in that interview with Bob Uecker two weeks ago. He's like, look, when pitchers are throwing 99, you, you, you need to be swinging the bat. You can't sit back and try to bunt 99. Are you kidding me? So there are a couple of reasons why maybe bunting was correct. Maybe a couple of reasons why swinging away was correct, which is what they ultimately did. It didn't work out, right? One more argument pushing back on bunting, and this is something that I heard today. I hear the logic that, well, a good hitter only gets a hit 33% of the time, right? 33% of the time, those aren't great odds. Well, they're not, but if you send three straight hitters to the plate with no outs, you're getting a 33% chance, a 33% chance, a 33% chance. Chances are one of those will hit. Chances are one of those will work out. Those are pretty good odds, especially when there's no force, so it's not like you can turn a double play, right? Now, the way things played out, not so great. It didn't work out. Hindsight is 2020, and because we know how this game ended, the Brewers maybe could have scored on that wild pitch, and then they end up losing 6-1 to one because Boxberger, I, oh, he made one of the worst, one of the worst pitches I've ever seen to start the Abadi hang, like an 88-mile-an-hour slider to Paul Goldschmidt, and I was like, oh, there it is, great. That's, that's out of here. So looking back, knowing what we know now, the decision to bunt seems, or not bunt, seems really, really dumb. If you really want to discuss Craig Council and small ball and what the Brewers need to do better, we need to go outside the scope of last night because focusing on one game of 162 makes for good conversation here and there, and it passes the time on the show, but like we're not going to reach any overarching conclusions. I saw an amazing tweet last night, an awesome, awesome tweet last night, and I want to share it with you because I, I think it's the best tweet of the week that I've seen, and it's from some ra- random dude. I saw it retweeted. This guy's name is Matt D'Amico. And this is what it says. And this is the issue for me. If you want to rip Craig Council, here's your ammo. Here's here's your smoking gun. Matt tweets, Brewers have created a conflict in what they built and what they believe. They built a team on pitching and defense. Those teams win by small ball. 
However, they have openly stated their dislike of that play style, even though they have a roster that's built for it. That's a very good point, Matt, wherever you are and wherever you're tweeting from. Like I said, a random account. The Brewers built a team through pitching and defense, and yet they don't play and operate like a team that's built on pitching and defense. They operate like the Minnesota Twins or the Prince Fielder Brewers where it's just go up there and swing away, and chances are over the course of the season you're going to hit more home runs than you don't, and you're going to win more games than you lose. Right? If you want to build a team through pitching and defense, which is the way the Brewers have built this thing, you're going to be in a lot of close games, and they haven't been good in situational hitting situations. Right? Last night aside, forget it, this whole season they've been bad at small ball. They're 26th in Major League Baseball with 12 bases per game. They're 21st in Major League Baseball with three and a half runners left in scoring position every single game. That's up over five if you just look at the last three games. I say all that to say this. They don't get many base runners, and and when they do get those rare base runners, they don't convert at all. Over the last nine games, the Brewers are 2-7, and and they are 15 for 89 with runners in scoring position. That's a batting average of 169. This entire season, forget the losing streak or the two out of seven that they've lost. They're hitting 209 with runners in scoring position, which ranks last in the National League and second to last in Major League Baseball. Only the Tampa Bay Rays are worse. There's your ammo if you want to come after counsel. They built a team through pitching and defense, but they don't want to play like a team that's built through pitching and defense. That's how you rip Craig Council if you really want to. If you want to debate, at least that's a good argument. Let's take a break. We'll hear from Craig Council about what happened last night and about the return of Yelich and Corbin Burns. Burns back tomorrow. Yelich, we don't know, but it seems like we have some good news. So let's discuss that coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show my name is grant bills and i'm having an excellent day yesterday not so much i was in a just a terrible mood yesterday and weirdly enough the brewers game last night didn't really trigger me i thought it was gonna push me over the edge and it didn't feeling much better today in case you were wondering thank you for asking i'm getting dozens of texts all asking about my mood yes thank you all i'm good <laughs> 608-796-2558 text line twitter at wisco grant binks of course chiming in Alluding to the Brewers' horrendous batting average and record with runners in scoring position. Yeah, it's it's bad. It's very, very bad. Uh, bunting, by the way, doesn't help that. It might have helped last night. Last night truly was a 1% situation. I- I'm not saying that the Brewers should have bunted in the 10th inning last night. If they did, maybe the game worked out differently. That doesn't mean it's the right or the wrong decision. Their decision did not work out. I think when you're hitting as poorly as you are, maybe it would have been okay to try something different last night. I'm against bunting 99% of the time, but I think there's an argument to be made that last night was truly the 1%. Thought we'd hear a little bit from Craig Council, who, I I don't, the media didn't really hit him after the game last night about his decision to bunt or not to bunt. I just think that they understand that he's not going to bunt. So let's, let's frame our questions differently. Let's, let's ask different things. And, And I think it's important to remember, by the way, that if you watch that ninth inning before this game ever got to extras, all three Brewers hitters, who was it? Manny Pena? Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr., and who is the other hitter that would have been up? I'm looking at the lineup now. Not, oh, it would have been Urias, Pena, and Jackie Bradley Jr. All just crushed balls. Just crushed them. And they all ended up right in the glove of an outfielder. Harrison Bader made a really, really good play in center field, too. Craig Council talking about that. It's like, look, 
the hits didn't come, but we put great wood on the ball. We were having great at-bats. It just didn't work out. We just didn't get the next hit. And then sometimes, you know, we hit a couple balls to the wall. You know, Jackie lines out and, a, and a, you know, we, we couldn't find a hole. And, and so ultimately, one hit with a man in scoring position, ultimately, that's going to be tough to score then. So, you know, that ninth inning against Gallegos, we hit three balls on the screws and, and got nothing to show for that one. So there, there, was, some, there was some good innings. There was pressure, but, but we just kept coming up empty. I think that's a good way to describe the end of the game. They put great boat, especially in the ninth inning, man. All three at-bats were crushed. They were just crushed right at somebody or right to the base of the wall. And this, this, by the way, this idea, what Craig Council just alluded to, all of these hard-hit balls that ended up in gloves, this is the type of variance that can win or lose you a game when you're only scoring one run, right? If the Brewers put up five runs last night, none of those at-bats matter. But when you're constantly playing in one nothing, 1-1 games, well, that variance is going to bite you in the butt. You're going to you're going to get done with the game thinking, "Well, we hit the ball hard, but it didn't matter." Yeah, cuz you didn't you, you left it up to chance in a one-run game. The Brewers didn't get the positive luck, the good luck last night, and they lost because of it. If you score more runs, you don't open up the door for that stuff to matter. Uh our guy Tom Hodricourt, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. This is a Tom Hodricourt show. Asked a really good question, comparing the Cardinals in late innings who got a run across via a walk and some moved runners and a sack fly compared to the Brewers, who basically just got up there and struck out for the last four or five innings. Here's Council addressing that comparison, and I think he's a little petty about what happened to Devin Williams in the eighth inning. I think we made a pretty good pitch to Carpenter that that was a strike. Um, that, 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 to me, was a strike and a strikeout, and I think that changes that inning. But uh, they, they, they did a nice job that inning against Devin. They jumped on a first pitch strike, and you know, ended up getting a walk, and, and um, the contact got him... Uh, Got him a run. The low part of the zone wasn't there. The high part was, uh, especially when Cardinals relievers were on the mound. I don't want to be this petty guy that complains about the umps. I think Council was a little bit frustrated. Devin Williams made some really good pitches, just didn't always get the call. I think Tyrone Taylor being gunned down at second base, too. Here's the thing. I think he was out, but there was no replay that showed clearly that he was out. You could kind of glean from the video well it looks like he didn't get there but there's no definitive angle well they rang him up anyways which is par for the course with baseball replay neither here nor there this isn't turning into the umpiring show once again you play in one 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 games you leave the door open for positive and negative variants like that oh we hit three hard balls and it didn't work out well then you lose because you're playing in a one-run game oh we didn't get a call at the bottom of the zone oh we had a, a, a base runner gun down and replay yeah we'll score more runs and that stuff doesn't matter okay which is what I've been saying for the last couple of days it's frustrating that it played out that way um but I guess I I turned out to be right I was right yeah I was Craig Council continues speaks about the return of Corbin Burns a little bit more positive uh we'd be remiss to ignore the Corbin Burns who's pitching like a Cy Young candidate is going to be back tomorrow Good news, which I learned today, Corbin Burns never had to stop throwing. I don't think he necessarily had to take a big step back from a physical activity. The where and how he was able to do it changed, but he didn't really have to shut himself down at any point. So, of course, not pitching for two weeks is going to be different. I think we'll acknowledge that. But like I said, I don't think he had to stop at any point, really. Now, that's very good news. Corbin Burns said today, I, I thought it was a false positive. I didn't have any symptoms. I was fine. I kept working out. I was working out on my wife's Peloton. I kept throwing in the backyard and in the net. So he didn't have to stop activity. Now, he didn't get to throw in any sessions. There's no minor league or there was no rehab like that. So council says, 
good thing he was able to work out because it's not like he had some other team he could go pitch with or somebody he could work out with. Ideally, you're in a, a six-day routine and competing against major league hitters. That was taken away, so he was not able to do that. So that's that's the step back. Very much like Christian Yelich. We just got to get him back in the lineup because that's the only way to go about this. Got to get him back in. Got to get him working, and that'll start tomorrow. That's what we're dealing with. Corbin got a hurdle thrown in front of him. We got You got to climb over it. You got to attack it, and that's what he's going to do. So I think rhythm is a real thing, but I, I don't think you, know, you just got to get back out there to, to, to start it going again. So there's one way for Corbin to get back into rhythm, and that's to get back on the mound. Can't wait for Corbin Burns to come back tomorrow and do what Freddie Peralta did yesterday throw seven innings of one-hit ball and not have it make a damn bit of difference. Zach tweets in at Wisco Grant says, when you're in a funk like the Brewers have been, you need to manufacture runs however you can, especially in the bottom of the 10th. A sack bunt and a subsequent sack fly is all you need to score a run without getting a hit in the words of George W. Bush. Strategy. Like, I I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not um, disagreeing with you all today. Last night could have been an instance where they use a bunt. No, there's no guarantee they would have got it down, and there's no guarantee that a sack fly would have worked. Now, they ended up getting a wild pitch. Who knows how that game goes differently if they elect to bunt? Like, there's a million different ways the game could go last night. However, they ended up losing anyways, so it couldn't have gone worse had they tried to drop a bunt down. I'm against bunting 99% of the time. I think there's a strong argument to be made that last night was an example of, of one of those one percenters where maybe a bunt could have been a half-decent idea. Let's take a break. I want to talk about the Packers coming up next. The schedule release is today. I don't really understand how the schedule release works. We know some games. I don't think we know them all yet. I don't know. It's a weird process. I highlighted a couple of very interesting matchups that we know that I want to talk about for this upcoming 2021-2022 season. More of the Wisco Sports Show. Talking Packers after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills. On the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show, rolling on. Hope you're having an excellent Wednesday. My name is Grant Bills, and I'm glad you're here. We're about to get into some Packers. There's a little bit of Packers news that just broke within the last couple of minutes. It's hardly inspiring. We're going to talk about the schedule release as well. But first, one thing to kind of put the final nail into the coffin of our Brewers conversation, at least until 5 o'clock. Then we'll get back into Brewers and Craig Council and what this offense needs to do better. Eric and lacrosse, who I now believe to be several standard deviations brighter than me, uh, sent in this text, and I want to read it to you because I think it helps illuminate the conversation we just had. He says, To clarify your attempt at doing the math live, 162 games times 9 equals... 1,458 innings. 1,458 innings times three equals 4,374 batters per season. 4,374 times 1% equals 43.7 bunts per season. So 1% of the time would mean to bunt one time per 3.7 games. Seems high. So maybe change your 99% of not to bunt to 99.75. Okay. Edit the show rundown. The, The figurative... 99% is not big enough. Let's go 99.75. Just to make sure we're getting our point across. Eric, the scholar in lacrosse. Eric, I appreciate you. Although that is relatively simple math to do when you're not trying to host a radio show at the same time, which I think was my mistake. 608-796-2558. Twitter as well, at Wisco Grant, if you want to reach out that way. If you waste your time on that miserable hellscape of a website to the same degree that I do. You can tweet me there, as Zach and Wisco has done. And now Matt 
Matt's just here to, to watch the battle between the Craig Council people and uh, the anti-Craig Council people. Uh, let's get into the Packers. Some breaking news that I will share with you before we get into the schedule release. The Packers are signing veteran quarterback Blake Bortles today, uh, giving him a, a very small uh, one-year deal, reuniting with Nathaniel Hackett. Um, <laughs> uh, here's the thing. Everybody's saying, well, this is a camp arm. This is just somebody to have around. I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think they would be signing Blake Bortles if Aaron Rodgers was a happy man. That doesn't mean that Aaron Rodgers won't be back. This isn't this isn't uh this isn't a guarantee that Rodgers is gone, but I doubt they would be signing someone like him. When we've wanted the Packers to sign someone like Blake Bortles for 10 years and they haven't done it. We've always wanted a veteran backup, an experienced backup. Blake Bortles is literally that. And they finally do it and we're supposed to believe that it means nothing. Eh, means a little something. It's not it doesn't mean everything, but it doesn't mean nothing. Uh it means Aaron Rodgers is not thrilled and they need options and they got nobody in the quarterback room currently. All right. Depressing, weird Blake Bortles news aside, the schedule releases today, which is exciting. I'm not going to poo-poo the schedule release. I'm not going to say that it's dumb and it doesn't mean anything. Those people are the worst, right? Pretty soon, we can get the fridge magnets from Fleet Farm. And naturally, when you go through the checkout, you're going to grab more than one because you need one in the kitchen fridge and the garage fridge. You need to give one to your friend at work. Like you, You're stocking up on the, grid, uh, the fridge magnets, right, from the schedule ones. So every day when you go to get your orange juice in the morning, you can look at the schedule and get mentally prepared for 17 games, 17 games this year in 18 weeks, not just 16, but 17. I'm not going to poo-poo that. Schedule release is fun. What I will poo-poo, mostly because I don't understand it, which is how humans work, is how the schedule is released. It's very confusing to me, okay, because this is how it's supposed to work. The majority of the schedule is supposed to be announced tonight on NFL Network. They do a whole announcement show. You remember when American Idol like when we used to all watch American Idol and they would do the performance night and then they do the results night. So the second night would just be waiting for the results. They would just announce who got voted off and the judge is going to use a save or whatever. Kind of the same thing. The NFL Network's just doing a, a release show, just releasing the schedule. And I'm all about that. That's great. That's good programming. I probably won't watch. I'll probably watch the Brewers instead, but it's good for NFL Network. However, there are also some games that are announced on like network morning shows like Fox and Friends, Got to announce a couple this morning. Good Morning America, which I think is the offshoot of Disney and ABC, which means they get to announce the Monday Night Football. I'm not sure about CBS. I I don't really care. My point is, some random games are announced in the morning. The rest are announced at night. But all of the other ones leak incrementally throughout the day, which I don't understand. If the schedule is going to leak and people are going to put it out, why does it happen like one random game at a time? And why are a bunch of random people getting their hands on it? I'm led to believe that the NFL schedule is just one huge PowerPoint and there are a bunch of people trying to hack it at once, one slide at a time. Because, because that's the only reason something would leak like this. It's like, well, I'm hearing week 14, Browns Packers. Well, I'm hearing week four, Jets visit the Raiders. It's like, where's, there's no rhyme or reason or system to how any of this is working. I don't get it. And nobody, you have like radio people breaking some news. You have some joker who is a waiter in Green Bay who knows somebody who knows somebody. First of all, I hate the scoops business. I would rather go paint houses for a living than have to track down information and verify it and tweet it out. That sounds like a miserable existence. I hate that. I feel like I've said that many times on this show. I like talking into the microphone. We have discussions about sports. If it was my job to track down information and break stories, no. No, thanks. No, thanks. 
I think I'd rather be a manual labor. And if you've met me, I'm one of the softest human beings on this planet. I'm sure Ebo talks about that at length. He does on my show. I can only imagine how often he brings it up on his, on The Zone in Madison. The, the, I do not envy the Scoops people, but the Scoops people everywhere. It's like every five minutes we get a random game. None of it makes sense. Yeah, I do feel better. Thank you for asking. I needed to get that off my chest. Games that stick out. A couple of games that we know. I circled three. We probably know more. We'll get the full schedule tonight. I can wait a couple. I can wait a couple of hours. I don't need this in the middle of the day. I could have waited until 8 p.m., but we do know a couple of details, which are interesting, and let's discuss it. Opening Sunday. A couple of the matchups that we know, and now I've lost the tweet, so let me pull it back up. Week one. We know who the Packers are playing. We know a couple of the matchups in week one. The Packers are going to be playing the Saints at 3.30. I'm I'm very lukewarm on this matchup. Not because I don't think... Not because I don't think that the Packers should be in primetime. I'm not against that. And, I mean, after all, the, the Saints have been a good team for years. I that That has some potential yuckiness to it. Like, set the Packers aside for a second. If we're talking about the Packers-Saints at 325, right? What is our fascination with the Saints? Forget the Packers for a sec. Why can we not quit the Saints? They weren't a good watch last year. I would contend they haven't been a good watch in a couple of years. I think their stadium is really ugly and doesn't make for good TV. Drew Brees was frail and brittle and not energetic and exciting to watch. But he wasn't Taysom Hill or Jameis Winston. Like, I I don't want to watch Drew Brees' backups. Something you need to remember about the Saints, too, is it's not like they're a a factory for young, developing players. They only have 15 players that they've drafted in the last three years, and two have been quarterbacks. Neither one have been any good. Tommy Stevens, and they just took Ian Book. I don't really know why. I think the Saints have disaster potential. I think there's a chance that in that NFC South, I think the Falcons are much improved. I think there's... I think there's reason to believe that the Panthers could be improved. I like Matt Rule. More specifically, I like Joe Brady. Christian McCaffrey's coming back, too. And they drafted Mason Stocky. We can't. That's worth a couple of wins right there. And the Buccaneers are awesome. I I think there's a disaster potential for the Saints. The over-under is set at nine right now. That is incredibly steep. And I don't give betting advice, but Saints under, I would hit that. I would definitely hit the Saints under at nine if I had to bet that line. I I think that's an interesting line. I think it's always safer to bet unders. Right, You have the possibility of ties. Craziness always benefits the under. Especially, I mean, look at the Falcons. They're a great example. I just don't think the Saints are very good. Now, I also don't know if the Packers are going to have their MVP quarterback or if they're going to be starting Blake Bortles or Jordan Love. Now, Broncos and Giants play in the same time window, which leads me to believe that Fox really wanted to cover all their bases, saying, well, no matter where Aaron Rodgers is, we're going to have him on at 325. Now, where we send Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, we'll figure that out later, but we want the the possibility to do whatever game, whatever team Aaron Rodgers might be with. Two night games that jumped out to me today. They host the Lions week two for Monday Night Football, which sounds like the most Monday Night Football week two game ever. Does anybody have any thoughts on Packers-Lions week two? Anybody? Anything? Bueller? Like, I, I don't have any. Lions stink. We don't know who the Packers quarterback is. So perfect. That sounds like a game that should live on ESPN and we'll all complain about it at the time. Another night game that they're playing. Sunday night football at Chicago in week 14 and another Sunday night game in week 17. They're hosting Minnesota. Now, I I don't want to talk about the Vikings in week 17. I do want to talk about the Bears for just a minute or two. Great roster. Not as great as it's been, but still very, very good. They have to balance the quarterback position. I've seen this idea thrown around 
that the Bears are going to follow the Mahomes model where they're going to let Justin Fields sit for a year and then he'll be ready to go out and throw for 50 touchdowns in year two. I don't think the Mahomes model is, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a real thing. I think if the Chiefs could go back and do that again, they might put Mahomes in sooner. The only reason they didn't is they couldn't because that year the Chiefs were 12-4, and and in 2017, Alex Smith was fantastic. They had a top-five offense in the league. They might have wanted to go to Mahomes right away. Might have been better for them towards the end of the year because Alex Smith and the Chiefs ended up losing to a game in the Steelers. The Steelers didn't even have a touchdown in that game, if you'll remember. The idea that the Mahomes model exists in the modern NFL, I just don't think it does. Are we going to act like 2021 Andy Dalton is the same as 2017 Alex Smith? Not by, not, not by a literal long shot. And the one biggest weakness that the Bears have, although it's a strong roster, their offensive line isn't good. And that offensive line isn't going to be made any better looking by Andy Dalton. So I think we'll see Justin Fields sooner rather than later, certainly by week 14 when they uh, visit Chicago for Sunday Night Football. Christmas Day, one more footnote I wanted to talk about. This is an interesting game. The Christmas Day games are Browns at Packers, which sounds awesome, and Colts versus Cardinals. That's a weird game uh it's not going to have the cold weather late season classic feel that I think Browns and Packers will be I think both games are very interesting for cool teams I'll step up to the plate for the Browns here I think the Browns have been very brewerish in their decision making the last two or three years they are a smart team right and they've been smart for a while they've been smart for two or three years now they've made smart front office decisions they've been analytically sound They haven't been functional because they've had a bad coach and the owner at times has been weird. And I don't don't think John Dorsey was an especially good people person in GM. But now they're both analytically sound and functional with Kevin Stefanski. The, The Browns do nothing but make good decisions. And they've done nothing but make good decisions for the last two or three years. I think they're going to be an excellent team this year and it should be a really quality game assuming the Packers aren't starting Blake Bortles on Christmas Day. Yeah, the Packers signed Blake Bortles if you missed that. I'm going to go dig some more details up on that. We'll talk about that coming up next. And also, I would like to address Bill Michaels because I was listening to his show yesterday and he brought up something and I couldn't believe my ears. We'll talk about that coming up next as well. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports show rolling on talking a little bit about the schedule release a couple of interesting games coming up this year for the Packers and some breaking news they have signed Blake Bortles it's the name we all wanted right now our minds are at ease your thoughts are welcome 608-796-2558 Twitter as well at Wisco Grand I was just seeing what Packers fans had to say on Twitter I think I don't know maybe I'm a pessimist here's the way I look at this I don't think that this is insignificant. I don't think that this is a meaningless move in the grand scheme of things like a lot of people seem to think. I mean, think about it. For the last 10 years, all we've wanted from the Packers is to go out and sign a guy to play backup with experience, like Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles is not amazing, but are you telling me for the last five or six years we wouldn't have taken Blake Bortles as a backup with the Packers? I think absolutely we would have. This is what we've been asking for. Get a veteran guy. Yeah, Blake Bortles isn't amazing, but he's a veteran. Right? He's not Brett Hundley. He's not Tim Boyle. We've wanted that for 10 years. Haven't even sniffed it. They've never done anything like this. And now they finally do it, and we're all like, well, this means nothing. I don't know if it means nothing. 
I don't know if they're signing Blake Bortles if Aaron Rodgers is a happy man. I, I don't know. This doesn't mean that Aaron Rodgers is for sure gone. That's not what I'm saying. But let's not cast this aside like it's nothing. Let's not be in denial, folks. It's a bad look. It's a very naive look for a fan base. I want to take a moment to pause on the Packers, pause on the Brewers, and I want to talk about something else. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of radio shows around the state, sports and stuff, right, is their mantra. I follow a lot of shows and show accounts on Twitter, so I see what other shows are doing and what other shows are talking about, right? People do sports and stuff. My wife made me do this. Who's the hottest girlfriend Aaron Rodgers has had? Not this show. This show is 99% sports. This is a hardcore sports show. We talk about the X's and the O's only, okay? Except for these next few minutes because I want to talk about something else. I want to talk about stuff, all right? Something that we have on this show that I've really started to enjoy the last couple of months. We have an occasional bit here and there where something gets randomly brought up on the show and it becomes like kind of a funny theme for two or three days or for the week. They normally last, I would say, like three to five days. They, they typically never bleed from one week to the next. Like, we had Dave Matthews week. Remember that? When I just had the audacity to mention that Dave Matthews is really awesome and I was fighting with everyone for, like, three days over it? Remember that? I think uh, last week was the week of the other guys. I quote the movie once. I'm still getting texts about it. So we had the, the, the other guys week last week. We beef with Ebo. That's an occasional beef. We'll ban him for five days. We won't even tell him, and he won't know because it's not a big deal. It's symbolic. We're beefing with Ebo. Or that one time Zach Heilprin accused me of being a Marquette fan. That was a recurring bit for a while. We have bits, right? However, one bit stands above the rest. And it is the biggest bit and maybe the bit I'm most proud of this calendar year. Neil Diamond. So much that we created Neil Diamond Week. First week in April. Not the first full week. It's the first week in April. This year it was March 29th through April 2nd. And what a week it was. Guests chiming in about Neil Diamond, good Neil Diamond stories. Remember Ebo seeing him in Madison, sat next to someone with an oxygen tank, right? Recurring guest, friend of show Bart Winkler was talking about how he was into Neil in his youth, right? He got some good culture. So it became a thing for a week. However, I know when to let a good bit die. The Neil bit isn't dead. It's just dormant until next spring when we have Neil Diamond week once again. However, however, Someone brought it back, and it's someone who lives on this network. Did you hear Bill Michaels' show yesterday? It was just after 10 o'clock. I saw the clip on Twitter. Uh, His show account posted it, or an account that posts clips of Bill Michaels. Funny little clips and moments from the show. He's talking about Neil Diamond. I couldn't believe believe it yesterday. You cannot believe it. This is Bill Michaels posing a question that doesn't belong now. Bill, we needed this a month and a half ago. We needed this Neil Diamond week. The beginning of April. So over on the Facebook fan page, if you have not chimed in, I don't know why. Every now and then you get one of those weird questions in your head. Uh, I was listening to Forever in Blue Jeans today. And then I started kind of thinking to myself, the best Neil Diamond song out there. Believe it or not, as an eighth grader, I had to be in a, uh, a play. We had an eighth grade play for our graduation. And it was based off of Neil Diamond's um, the the movie where where he's saying coming to America I can't remember what the 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 singer the jazz uh, whatever the singer, hell Bill, it was it's the jazz singer but um, anyway long story short uh, I had to do a play so it got me thinking about the best Neil Diamond song ever everybody loves Sweet Caroline that's kind of Boston song you know overrated. that's East Coast overrated but uh, but nevertheless Neil Diamond the best Neil Diamond song ever that's over also over there uh, poll question wise Sweet Caroline's not even in the conversation by the way. 
my list of favorite Neil Diamond stars starts and ends with Solitary Man, right? Maybe we can talk about Kentucky Woman, Thank the Lord for the Nighttime. Boom, 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 boom. The jazz singer. The jazz singer, Bill. The 19, uh, 1927. Forget I, forget I just messed up the year. Forget I did that. The jazz singer. It's the jazz singer. And had I known that Bill was down with Neil, but I had him on during Neil Diamond Week. Let's have some synergy here. Okay, folks, let's communicate a little bit better from the 10 to 2 slot time slot to the 4 to 6. Bill, work with me. Okay, let's have some connectivity here. If we're doing Neil subjects, we got to blitz our listeners all at once. Favorite Neil Diamond song. Not Sweet Caroline. Not Sweet Caroline. By the way, the uh, the film 1980. Not the 1927 jazz singer. 1980. An American musical drama film directed by Richard Fleischer and produced by Jerry Leader. Uh, the film stars Neil Diamond in an acting capacity, but also in a music capacity. We're coming to America. I can't believe that Bill Michaels is doing Neil Diamond content a month and a half after Neil Week. I couldn't believe my ears. Bill, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying you're ripping the show off. Neil Diamond is for the people. But if, if we're going to share content here, look, you take my Brewers topics all you want. You take my Packers topics. You take my Bucks. You steal everything I say on the show. I don't care, okay? But with Neil, is nothing sacred, okay? Let's have some synergy between the morning afternoon show and the evening drive show. Neil Diamond Week, mark your calendars next year. The first week in April. Not the first full week in April. It's the first week, okay? I'm not waiting an extra six days just because March bleeds in over Monday, Tuesday. We're getting after it. First week next April. And I and I tell you right now that we will not celebrate and listen to the song Sweet Caroline. And I know Paradhead's listening, Jimmy Buffett fans. It's the same with Margaritaville. It's the hit. It's the song everybody knows. It's not his best song. It's not even close. It's not even close. Forever in Blue Jeans is a, that's a bop though. We're going to get to some texts. We're going to get to some calls. We're going to talk more about the Brewers, and we'll get back into the NFL later on in the show. But if you want to complain about Craig Council, uh, now's your time, okay? I'm opening the door. We'll talk about Craig Council, maybe what the Brewers could have done differently last night from a managing, decision-making perspective to beat the Cardinals. That coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Entire last 10 years where we're just left thinking, like, Figure it out. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Breaking news. Uh, first breaking on the show. This is an exclusive. I just broke my chair. <laughs> I leaned over to check my phone and I heard a pop. Uh, yeah, I broke my chair. So at some point between now and six o'clock, uh, the seat of this chair might slide off, and that's going to make for amazing audio because you're just going to hear a loud crash, uh, and you will hear the thud of me hitting the floor. On top of that, the Packers also signed Blake Bortles, which I guess is more pertinent. Uh, One-year deal. I-, I don't think it's insignificant to me. This signing says that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be at OTAs and he's not coming to camp, and we need bodies. Okay, for all Packers fans that I see on Twitter and and texting and tweeting, they're like, oh, this means nothing. They need bodies for practice. It doesn't mean nothing. When have the Packers ever been the type of team to sign a Blake Bortles type the last 10 years? That's all we've wanted. Sign a a veteran. Don't draft another Brett Hundley or Deshaun Kaiser. 
just sign someone like Blake Bortles, and they never have. And yet here we are, May 12th, the year of our Lord 2021, and they've signed Blake Bortles. I don't think that's insignificant because it's very out of character for the last decade of the Packers. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I do want to get back into the Brewers, and we're going to do that unless you have other ideas. This is typically the portion of the show where the calls start getting hot and heavy. Uh, it looks like we have Nick on the phone. Do I have that correct, Nick? And if so, welcome to the show. Yes, Grant, you do have that correct. Thank you for taking my call. I actually call into uh, Evo quite often, so this is my first call to lacrosse, even though that's where my family's from. Really? Well, um, I'm glad to have you. Thanks for calling. Yeah, well, thank you for the show. Um, I was actually calling in on the Brewers, but I just want to chime in real quick on the Blake Bortles signing. Sure. It was reported by Adam Schefter, so we all know that that, you know, take that for a grain of salt for what it is. <laughs> they, Sorry, they, they, I got to throw my, my... They probably signed him a week ago, and he's just choosing to report it now because he had nothing else to tweet this out. Well, it, it's it's from an accumulation of things he's heard, right? Isn't that is that not how he t- puts it? Something like um, that. In regards, to Bre- in regards to the Brewers last night, my initial thought was, oh, my gosh, you just have to bunt a guy over. Then, you you know, you got two chances to either hit a sack fly or, or get a base hit or a wild pitch or anything. Get the guy on, on third. Well, when there's zero outs and a guy on second – you have almost a 40% probability of success of scoring one run or more mm-hmm. in a game. When you have one out and a runner on second, there is less than a 20% probability of success. So what does that tell you? You have a much you have twice the probability of success by bunting him over. When you have one out with a runner on third, you have almost a 50% chance of winning the game. If you run it by the numbers, you win. You bunt every time in that situation. I, I was so pissed off. I actually shut the game off after that because I'm like, it's over. They're not going to win. The managing is horrible when it comes to situational uh, performance. You're preaching. I don't care what you say about pitching. I, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm a Twins fan, so you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it frustrates me. It frustrates me to see my second team doing what it's doing in regards to how to perform in extra innings in the situation. I mean, Tony Larusa knew nothing about it, and he's probably doing better than a better job than Craig Council did last night. Yeah, well, Tony Larusa can't even remember the rules, so that's really saying something. Well, he 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 was out of the league when the rule came in, so yeah. he didn't even. You know, this is all new starting last year. But that said, Craig Council should know these numbers. It's analytics. It's a numbers game, you have a much better chance of winning with, with no outs and a runner on second or one out and a runner on third than you do with one out and a runner on second. I agree. Simply put. I agree. Well, and they go by the so, numbers. They go by the numbers all the time. Before I let you go, Nick, can I ask you, because I'm conflicted on this. Do you like the runner at second base? or Is that a rule you've, like, warmed up to? Because I hated it at first, but now I'm, I'm kind of about it. I'm the same way. I don't like these 16-inning games. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, I've got a life. I've got to wake up early in the morning, you know, work out or get to work. I, I just want to watch the end of the game. Um, I, I like that you don't have many games going into 11, 12, 13 innings. It's kind of exciting. It makes for situations like this all the more fun because you get pissed off at a coach that doesn't know how to play it right, and then you become your own coach, and you're like, I can do a better job than he can. It makes, oh. it, makes it exciting. It, it does, and it speeds up the game, and I don't want to watch – like, if the game's been 1-1 the whole time, I don't need to see that for seven exactly. more Exactly. Like, I've got my taste exactly. of a pitcher's it's, it's, duel. I'm, I'm over it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, and I'm glad well, to hear that people are coming around. 
not to mention what it's going to do is it's going to screw up the bullpen for the forward games. You yeah. know, if you're if you're talking about the third game of a three-game series and you're going to 16 innings and you have to play a, a, a bullpen game, all of a sudden you get to the next game and it's game one of a series, your bullpen is empty. So you're completely blowing your entire chances of winning the next series for one game. It's not so. it's 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 not traditional, but I'm I'm definitely coming around to it. And you seem like a very smart fan, Nick. And I appreciate your call. Call back anytime. We need more excellent contributors and callers. So I appreciate you. Appreciate it. Now that I got your number, we'll do. Thanks a lot. Yeah, have a good one, Nick. That is Nick in Madison, I assume, if he is a listener and a friend of Ebo. He's not wrong, right? The numbers are advantageous for getting that runner to third. The Brewers are all about the numbers. So you'd think they maybe would have dropped a bunt down last night. They didn't. If you don't know what we're talking about, if you missed last night's game, uh, which is probably very few of you, but I'll, I'll set this up for you just for a minute or two. The Brewers pitched fantastic last night. Freddie Peralta was great. Seven scoreless innings, only one hit, right? They held St. Louis to two hits through 10 innings. Two hits, 10 innings. It was 1-1. And they went into the bottom of the 10th inning with a runner on second, Avi Garcia at the plate, and Colton Wong and Lorenzo Cain on deck. All you need to do is get that runner from second to third or second to home, and you win. You don't need more than one run. You don't even need a hit. You just need to get him in. A lot of people think they should have started that inning by dropping a bunt down, so now Colton Wong's coming up, and then Lorenzo Kane. All you got to do is get him 90 feet. Okay. And I understand people are frustrated about Craig Council today. I knew it would be so when I watched the game last night. Right? Like, I, I, I knew it. I understood that. I was like, okay, tomorrow people are going to be upset. And I think rightfully so. Craig Council, in my opinion, is one of the best managers in baseball. I think he's the best. But that doesn't mean he's beyond criticism. Everybody has a flop. Folks are mad at Craig Council for not bunting in the 10th. And I, let's talk about it. Like, let's get into the weeds on this. Let's debate it. We did this a couple of weeks ago when Craig Council pulled Corbin Burns after six, right? Everybody was mad. And I cracked the mic and I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's put the gloves on. And and today is, is very much the same. I have, I think, painted myself in a corner with Craig Council as the guy who hates bunting. And I do, for the most part, hate bunting. I don't think it's a smart play. Most of the time, it doesn't increase your odds of winning. It's like kicking a field goal in football. A lot of people, you kick a field goal and you make it, and you feel better about yourself. It's like, oh, we got some points. You know, we ended the drive with something positive, even if it doesn't increase your odds of winning. A lot of times, your odds of winning a game are better by going forward on fourth down and, and not getting it than it would be to kick the field goal and make it. Right, But yet we gravitate towards a made field goal because we feel good about ourselves and it feels positive. And I, and I think sometimes bunting feels the same way. It's like, oh, good job. You moved him over, even if it doesn't lead to runs or even if it doesn't increase your odds of winning. I'm mostly anti-bunt for those reasons I just mentioned. But I think there is a 1% of the time, probably like a quarter percent of the time, less than 1% of the time throughout the year, that a bunt makes sense. Last night, I think you can make an argument that that was an instance where a bunt probably would have been the right idea. Certainly worked out that way. A wild pitch probably would have got that runner home, and then the Cardinals go on to score fifth runs because Brad Boxberger. My God. I, I love that moment. Boxberger gave up the home run to Goldschmidt because the announcer, as he's getting ready to deliver the pitch, goes, a lot of options for Boxberger here. A lot of choices. First base is open as he hangs an 88-mile-an-hour slider right at the belt, and I'm like, there it is. That's gone. My God. Just a, just a fat I mean, a little leaguer could have hit that thing out. He served it up like a... Like a warm ham sandwich. Let's go again to the phones. Uh, talk to our friend uh, Binks. Binks, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing, Grant? I'm doing good. I'm on hope my toes I, today. Hope I didn't hurt a lot of people's feelings on all my tweets last night. I took four chill pills last night, okay? 
I'm okay today. You were fired up last night, I saw. <laughs> you were mad. You used the hashtag clownsel, which I'll tolerate a lot of things on yeah. this show. That is one thing I will not tolerate. Okay. All right. All right. All right. I told you I would calm down, so I did. I did. Okay. But you know what? I'm going to get off the. Uh, I'm going to get off the bench and say, I, I, I'm officially. I, I was going to keep quiet on this one, but I, I'm sorry. When, when they, when they got rid of Arcia, that was a mistake. I agree with you. I'm going to go back a couple months with you on that one and say I'm an Arcia fan, just like you. So, um, I got this in my notes here because you said to be prepared. So, I did. <laughs> um, Okay. <laughs> but you know what? And I've always said there's I, I don't like luck. I don't like anything like that. You know, Wong and McKinney, they got robbed of some hits last night. Yep. And you just got to tip your cap. Because if you're playing, if you're DeYoung, and if you're uh, the guy out, you know, I can't remember the guy playing right field for the Cardinals, he took a hit away, and we were going to extra innings. Um, you just got to tip your cap to it. So is it luck? Sure, call it what you want, um, and it's good. It's just, it's just you gotta just gotta say <laughs> they play great defense too. Mm-hmm. Um, I could talk about taking out Peralta, but I tweeted too much about it. My head hurts. Um, I don't agree with the lineup uh, that they had, but we had one for fifteen left on base. I'm sure you talked about it in your opener. Yeah. But here's the two things that really stick out to me. Number one. What the hell, or excuse me, what the heck was Taylor doing stealing on Molina? Yeah, I mean, is it bold. a rookie mistake? That was bold, wasn't it? That's a Oh, you bold is an understatement. You bet. And uh, Urias, or Urias, excuse me, takes this. Uh, he had a 3-0 count, and he, he flies out to the, you know, almost the deepest part of the park. I think he could have worked it probably to a walk. Um, he, I think that reliever was in for the second inning. Um, okay. I, I think it would have been another guy on base, and you know the next guy would have come around. Um, but here's another question, and I see that this, this happens quite a bit with counsel is uh, with the, the bottom of the ninth, or you know, or Hater could have been in a closing situation, but the game is tied. Hater comes in in this tie situation. Why does Hater only pitch one inning? Is he just forbidden to absolutely pitch two innings, or why do we not? I, save him for I, another night. I, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they're going to pitch him. I, I don't think they will use him for more than one inning all year long. Just just because, I mean, he's a couple years older now. I, I don't think you are going to see an instance where he even comes in for a five-out save. I think he is a traditional closer now, and I think the Brewers have made that decision. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, it, it, it's something that I was real fired up about. It's, I don't even think they should have went to extra innings. It's like, you know, they had so many people on base, and it's like you got to get them around. You got to get a hit. I think I think Gasper had you know the right uh, idea is that everybody and a lot of other um, sports folks that they just need to hit. And you know when guys come back, and you know people like uh, Kane and people like Bradley, you know these people that are paid millions start. You know when all the Pistons are firing, then I think we're unstoppable. But yeah. for right now, the Cardinals are in first place. We're in second. They're a division rival. I look at every game and say, and you get to the end of the season and say, oh, we're two games behind. And this is one of those games where you could say, oh, boy, if we would have won that game, we, we would be one step closer. Um, and when you're thirsty for a World Series like I am, and yeah. I know I'm twice your age, man, you know, um, and it's kind of like 
And and the other thing about a blunt is, as I thought about this, sure. One of the things that you got to know about me, and I'll hang up, pal. I promise. <laughs> yeah, one of the things you got to know about me is I don't like comparing football to baseball. Okay. I hate it. Wisconsin okay. has a great football uh, culture. Wisconsin has a baseball culture that's, you know, been around for a while. But it seems to me like you're defining a bunt like a flea flicker okay. in football, you know. So bunts are still necessary to get a person to third, especially in these extra innings. Get a fly ball and get them in, win the game. Um, you know, you and I pick on Sogard so much, even he could do that, you know. So. <laughs> So it's just essential, man. So uh, anyway, sorry for the bad tweets last night. I was no, you're, fired up. So. You're good. Thanks for the call, yeah, Darren. Gonna... You 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 did your homework today. I appreciate that. Thanks for your call. All right. All right, buddy. Bye. Yeah, have a good one. That's Binks. Uh, there's a lot to chew on there. Uh, and, man, like, I've said enough about the Brewers today. If you call in, like, don't feel the need to rush. Like, we're not going to talk for 10 or 15 minutes, but you can say your piece. I won't compare football to baseball. They are two very different sports. I think there is a comparison we made between bunting and field goals where when done successfully, we get this feeling of, oh, good, that's a, that's a positive play. And I guess it is. Like, moving a runner to second is good. Great. Making a field goal is good. Great. But sometimes going forward on fourth down is the better decision than kicking a field goal, even if you don't get it. And I think we get caught up kicking a field goal because it, it gives us a positive feeling. We ended the drive in points. Well, ending the drive in points doesn't win the game. Right, Moving a runner to second might feel good. It might feel like an accomplishment, but it doesn't always win the game. Sometimes it does. Last night, it probably could have. And that's the debate that we're obviously having. Your point on Hater, I don't think Hater's going more than one inning all year. I, I, I don't think we're going to see that. I don't think we could expect that or should expect that. Now, I don't know about Fire Eisen or Williams or anybody else, but I think they've reached the point with Hater now where he is the traditional closer and they are going to use him as such. Maybe in the postseason that changes, although I'd be surprised even then. And I know we got to talk about the postseason. Your other point about these games in April, and they all matter. All of these games matter the same. I know an expression that a lot of people like to use. Every game you win in April is a game you don't have to win in September. Okay? So I, I'm, I'm never going to over or underreact, hopefully, to any of these games. They're all the same, but we shouldn't minimize these games in April just because they're in April and May. I mean, Jesus, we're almost two weeks into May now. It's, you can tell how much I pay attention to things. Right? Every game you win this time of year is one that you don't have to win later. Last night was a game that they let get away. Uh, that is, that's a frustrating loss. And I saw a lot of people expressing that sentiment last night on Twitter and today so far with the tweets and the calls. Let's take a break. I saw some of you trying to call. If you want to call back, I will take your call on the other side of this break. We're going to talk Brewers until 535, at which point we're going to get back into the Packers for a few minutes. Stay tuned. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. My name is Grant Bills on Twitter at Wisco Grant. You can text and call the show on the talk and text line 608 7, uh, geez, I almost forgot the number 608 796 2558. I'm trying to read news about Blake Bortles at the same time. The Packers have added another quarterback. This does not mean that Aaron Rodgers is gone. This doesn't mean that Jordan Love sucks. Uh, but don't cast this off as, as nothing. I think you're lying to yourself if this means nothing. I think this probably means that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to show up for the offseason. They need more quarterbacks. They need other guys. 
I also think it's significant because we've wanted the Packers to sign someone like this for how long now? And they never have. And now this offseason, they, they go out of character and they go get a guy like Blake Bortles. I think it's significant for that reason as well. We're talking about the Brewers, at least for another 10 or 12 minutes, and what happened last night. I knew that this game was going to be a lightning rod, and I guess for that reason, I'm thankful. People are upset about Craig Council. We want to talk about bunting and small ball and runners in scoring position and Brewers fans' favorite topics, right? Let's go to the phone. 608-796-2558. I do not have your name. I am so, so sorry, but welcome to the show. I'm happy to have you. Hey, this is Fuller. Fuller. Nice to hear from you, Fuller. Welcome. Yeah, long time caller for the old Ebo show. Uh, I was, uh, I heard your, heard a couple guys call in about the Brewers. And I just, I, I'm curious, what stat are they referring to where bunting is beneficial for the Brewers in that situation? I'd like to know the exact percentages because the baseball guy in me says it makes more sense to get three cracks at a seeing eye single than one crack at a sack fly. Sure. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. You know, Absolutely. I, 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 I'm not a, I'm not a fan of sending Avi Garcia, who is who it was yesterday, mm-hmm. up to the plate in a pinch hit situation to lay a sacrifice bunt down. Um, he doesn't bunt ever, and now you're asking him to do something against a guy who, by the way, is throwing 97 to 100 with a lot of movement on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're you're asking a lot from guys that are not typically guy, you know, guys that are going to go up there and bunt in a normal situation. I guess my I'm curious, what why why bunt in that situation when you get three cracks at a single? Well, Fuller, let's let's hash through this for a sec because you brought up a point that I made earlier on in the show, and I'm going to bring it up again. A lot of Brewers fans said that you should move him to third with a bunt. Because you have Colton Wong and Lorenzo Cain, two of your best hitters, coming up. Okay, I I can hear that logic, but if we use that same logic, we should also recognize that Avi Garcia is one of their hottest hitters right now. He's no slouch, so you want to waste the Avi Garcia bat because you you want to maximize Cain and Wong. You know what I mean? That that's that's a conflict of of ideology for me. I don't want to waste an Avi Garcia bat. Now, if you specifically brought someone off the bench to bunt, then it, then it's a little different. But no, I don't want to waste an Avi Garcia bat either. I'm with you. I, and the whole the whole thing about you know going hater more than one inning, these guys I don't know how many innings he got last year, but you're talking about very few in comparison to how many he's going to get this year. I, there is something to saving arms going forward in the sense that these guys haven't pitched a full 162 games in two years. I mean, it's one game, and let's remember the Brewers are four and two in extra inning games this year. So I have a hard time saying Craig Council doesn't know what he's doing. Sure, Fuller, I am right. Uh, th- I mean, this has been wonderful. I, this is great. It's, it's hard. It's 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 like we're all in the heat of the moment, right? Yeah, they they took a tough one against the Cardinals, which obviously everyone hates the Cardinals. If you're you know yeah. if you're not a Cardinals fan, you hate the Cardinals. Um, but in in hindsight, you're playing with the JV Brewers. And you're four and two in extra inning games. It's really hard to sit there and say Council doesn't know what he's doing. Also, Peralta not only going seven innings, it makes a lot of. He has a good he has a good performance. He has high morale when he leaves that game. The mm-hmm. worst thing you could do is send him out there to blow it in the eighth. Now all of a sudden he's down on himself because he just blew it in the eighth. 
when he's already got basically a hundred pitches. I mean, 97, that's a hundred. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I have a hard time sitting there blaming Craig council for them 19 and 17. I would more so like to give him a ton of credit for them being 19 and 17. Again, with 17 different guys being on the DL this year, it's hard to really put a blame to him. Can you be my friend in real life, Fuller? This has been an excellent call. <laughs> I, I appreciate your perspective, man. Thanks for giving us a call. And call back. Don't just we. I want Ebo's calls. They're all good. So keep keep calling back, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Have a good night, man. That's Fuller, first time caller, long time listener. I actually don't know if he's long time, but I just I'm just gonna assume. I'm just gonna hope. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> I, I I'm with him in having a, a good perspective and not getting too hot-headed over any of these games, I think what we're seeing play out today and the debate that's raging on, whether we specifically want to talk about bunting or the runners in scoring position or Avi Garcia versus anybody else in that spot, I think this comes back to a debate of philosophy. And it's it's a philosophy that seems to be clashing with the Brewers between how this team was built and how that they operate, right? They built this team to win through defense and pitching, but they don't really manage like a team that's set to win through defense and pitching. They manage and they operate like a team that's going out there trying to hit a bunch of home runs, like the Minnesota Twins or like the 2011 Brewers. You can win games that way, but not with a roster like this, not with the injuries that they have. I mean, who's their best power hitter in the lineup right now? Travis Sean, Avi Garcia? No, that, that's not going to work. So I think the philosophy between how this team was built and how they are trying to play, that's where the disconnect is. And I'm sure, I'm hopeful that Stearns and Council are discussing that and trying to make strides in that department. We're also talking about luck, right? The idea that all three batters in the bottom of the ninth inning just crushed the ball, and Harrison Bader made a couple of really good catches, and Jackie Bradley Jr. came a couple feet short of hitting a walk-off home run. Talk about the umpiring and the luck with Devin Williams. He didn't get the ring-up pitch, right? And and Tyrone Taylor, that call being reviewed and, and overturned, despite, in my opinion, probably biased as a fan, despite there not really being a perfect definitive angle to tell that, yes, he is out, Right, That's the kind of luck you open the door to when you're constantly playing one-to-nothing, two-to-one, one-run games. And that's what I've talked about this week so far. When you're messing around in one-run games, you open the door to all sorts of luck and all sorts of outside factors that if you could just score three or four runs, wouldn't matter at all. And yet here today, we're talking about whether or not Tyrone Taylor was out. We're talking about balls and strikes in the case of Craig Council about how Devin Williams didn't get the call against DeYoung, Right? They need to score more runs. That's what it comes down to. This offense needs to be more efficient, needs to be better. When they get runners on base, they need to cash them in. They don't get a lot of base runners, but the ones that they do, they're terrible at cashing them in, which is not exactly a, a good problem to have. Uh, a couple of texts, 608-796-2558. Uh, Binks says, thank you for taking my call. I said I wouldn't overly bash counsel. No, that was, that was full of perspective. I appreciate it. We're talking a little bit about the Packers. We're going to switch to the Packers after 530. I tweeted... 40 minutes ago, I said, we've been begging the Packers to get a backup guy like Blake Bortles for years to no avail. And now we're all going to pretend like this is a meaningless move. You know what I mean? Like we've wanted this type of veteran backup for years. And the Packers said, no, we're good with Brett Hundley. No, we're good with Deshaun Kaiser, which was a disaster. We're good with Tim Boyle. We're good with Jordan Love. And now out of nowhere in year what of the Aaron Rodgers tenure, 15, 16, I don't, I don't know not keeping track in in this stage in the game now we're gonna go out and sign Blake Bortles which is a huge stray from the norm and we're all gonna say ah it means nothing ah, I don't know about that 
it doesn't mean everything. It's not the biggest bit of news in the world, but this certainly isn't nothing. Don't be in denial. Packers fans, let's avoid being in denial, okay? It's a bad look. Let's move on. I want to talk about something that was written about this week. Uh, I guess this is a Slow News Wednesday type of segment. Uh, an interview with uh, Ron Wolf, Tyler Dunn, Go Long TD, who's friend of show. I'm hoping to get him on. He's so darn nice. Every time I text him, he's like, yeah, absolutely, and then we can never get anything nailed down. So hopefully within the next week or two, we can talk to Tyler uh, about this piece. I think a lot of you are going to agree with what Ron Wolf said. I'll share that with you. We'll get back into the Packers, talk Blake Bortles and the Packers quarterback situation coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. The Brewers have been the contentious topic today. Not the Packers, but the Brewers. And I knew it was going to be that way last night when I'm watching that game. I see what happened in the 10th, and then I see what happened in the 11th, and I'm like, okay, I know. I know what I'm in for tomorrow, which is great. Like, it sucks the Brewers lost, but really good conversation from both the pro-bunting crowd and the crowd that's like, well, let's relax a little bit. Bunting isn't the end-all, be-all of baseball and scoring runs. Good input from both sides. I appreciate the calls and texts, and they can keep coming if you'd like. 608-796-2558. The talk and text line, you can tweet me at Wisco Grant as well. The Packers have also signed Blake Bortles, which I'm, I, I want to make this very clear. This is my Blake Bortles take, and it's been thrown together in the last 40 minutes now. This Packers team has lived with Hundley, Kaiser, and Tim Boyle, and Jordan Love for a decade, okay? To say that this move isn't out of character or this move isn't slightly odd, it's just a lie. The Packers don't do things like this in a normal year. Get my point? You understand what I'm saying? This doesn't mean that Aaron Rodgers for sure is gone, but it's not insignificant. It's certainly interesting, and a move like this is certainly way out of character for a team like the Packers. They haven't operated like this in the last 10 years, despite cries from fans to say, go get a veteran. Blake Bortles is a veteran. They finally did it, and we all want to act like it's not a big deal. I don't know. I think that's a little bit naive. And I've sent a couple of tweets out at Wisco Grant, trying to get my my message out there uh, for listeners who might be following, but maybe not. Uh, listening along at the moment. That's my Blake Bortles take. Maybe we'll talk more about it tomorrow. I, I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers a little bit. Something I read today and something I read yesterday that I think is really good. It's a piece by Tyler Dunn, who, when reporting on drama in 1265 with the Green Bay Packers, I don't think there's much better than Tyler Dunn because he's so plugged in. And he comes from such a wholesome place, unlike a lot of reporters who we've talked about and you know we don't need to get into. The, the Rodgers rumor mill has slowed down significantly. And it's, it's not from lack of trying. Like, there are reporters who are every day trying to go on TV and on Twitter just trying to, to just tweak one reporter, one rumor, to try to have that next juicy bit of information. Uh, I was texting friend of show Bart Winkler today about this, about what John Kuhn said, and I thought he worded it really well. Like, Rodgers is the tide that lifts all boats, and everybody knows it. If they can get one interesting thing about Aaron Rodgers, it's their voice. It's their name in the news all day. We talked about this with James Palmer yesterday on NFL Network. He really didn't say anything interesting other than the Broncos have cap space and they're interested. But we're supposed to take that as the next chapter in this Aaron Rodgers saga. And, oh, it's written by James Palmer. There hasn't really been a whole lot going on in the last few days, which gives us a pause and it gives us a chance to kind of look around and actually think critically about what we know and about what we don't know. 
I had a coworker today who works on one of our music stations, on our rock stations. He came in and asked me, just how I'm feeling about Rogers, just BSing in the middle of the day. You know, as coworkers do, talking shop, not around the water cooler, but pertinent. And he asked me, what do you think about Rogers? Like, what's your feel? Which, I, it's funny that people ask me these things because I don't know anything. I don't, <laughs> I don't have connections. I don't have sources. I'm just following along like everybody else. I just try to lead a conversation about it every day for two hours. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves and look at the evidence like everybody else is. But what I told him, and I think the best answer of how anyone feels about the Packers right now, depends on who you ask. Depends on who you listen to. Depends on who you believe. Right? And now if you ask journalists, Rob Domofsky of ESPN, Peter King, who's with NBC now, Tyler Dunn, Golong TD, he does his own thing. You should subscribe. It's great. Mike Garofolo of NFL Network, right? If you talk to those journalists and journalists in general, people who, who aren't in the circle of Aaron Rodgers, aren't really connected to the Packers. I know Rob covers the Packers for ESPN, but it's not like he works for the Packers like John Kuhn or played for the Packers like James Jones. If you ask journalists who are detached to a degree, at least, Domofsky's probably the closest, Peter King and Mike Garofolo, those are people who are, are detached, right? They are all super pessimistic, super, super pessimistic that Rodgers is going to be back. And I think at one point, Rob Domofsky even gave this like a less than a 5% chance that Rodgers is back. Not exactly optimistic, right? Like less than 5% is pretty damning. And I, I enjoyed the analysis of Peter Bukowski, Locked on Packers podcast, who at one point, like two weeks ago said, look, it's greater than 5%, but it's less than 51, which is a way of saying this isn't a done deal that he's gone, but it's not exactly looking great. That's kind of the, 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 the percentage. That's kind of the feel that I like to stick to. Now, if you look at the odds makers in Vegas and you look at what the markets say, the betting markets, they're pretty bleak too. The odds at the moment are minus 140 that Rodgers won't start week one. It's even money that he does start week one for the Packers. Now, odds only tell us so much. Don't get me wrong. It depends on when you look at the odds. We're a long ways away from the season. Mac Jones was at one point the heavy favorite to go number three, and he didn't go to New England right after pick 10. So the odds can tell you what people are saying at a given moment, it's not going to tell you what necessarily will play out in weeks or months. That's why betting is all about value, right? It's not about just betting what's going to happen. It's when you bet it. You want to bet a certain team to win a certain number of games at a certain point when you can get a good number, right? If you were to bet the Packers over 11 and a half in a couple of months, that might be a good or a bad bet. If you bet it now, it might be a good or a bad bet, right? It depends on when you get bets and when you get the numbers. So if you believe right now that Aaron Rodgers is going to be back with the Packers, and I know some of you really do, go bet on it. Because it's good money, right? If he's back with the Packers and you believe it, the odds are right now in your favor to go place that bet. It doesn't mean it will stay that way. But that's how betting works, right? You're not necessarily betting outcomes. You're betting numbers. And numbers change all the time. But I'm just letting you know right now, the odds are it's minus 140 that Rodgers is somewhere else week one, either retired or not playing for the Packers, right? Now, that's if you ask journalists, if you look at the odds and what people in Vegas are saying. Now, if you ask players, especially former Packers, much, much, much more optimistic, right? James Jones saying they can work this out. Come on. John Kuhn saying, well, I work for the Packers, so I want to be careful what I say because I certainly know a lot. Like he has access to the nuclear codes. He was on McAfee today talking about that. John Kuhn saying they can work through this. They can get this done. And Devontae Adams, I think, wishfully thinking the same thing. <laughs> the idea in, in this this logic that I keep hearing from people like James Jones, John Kuhn, Devontae Adams. It's like they can work this out. Keyword is can. The keyword in this situation is they can work this out. This is a battle of ego. So of course they can work this out. 
But you can't think about this situation logically and rationally. If this disagreement between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers was about winning and and putting together a championship team and trying in 2021-2022, this upcoming fall, to go chase a championship, if that's what was at the center of all this, this wouldn't be happening. Because the Packers team is really, really good. They brought just about everybody back. I think they had a pretty good draft class, including a weapon, another offensive lineman, another corner, so you had depth to that room. Whether Eric Stokes turns out to be an all-pro or not, you made a conscious effort to improve that position, a position that desperately needed it. We saw it in the NFC title game, right? This isn't about winning. This is about ego. We really can't relate to what Rodgers is thinking or what the Packers are thinking because this isn't about logic and sense. This is about men getting in their feelings and trying to measure their you-know-whats. We can't be in their mind. We can't understand this because this is a then problem. Ron Wolf can't understand what's going on here either. And I want to bring Ron Wolf into this because Tyler Dunn, friend of show, dropped a piece this week after talking with the former Packers GM. There's a couple of quotes in here that I copy-paste and I want to read to you. You should subscribe because it's a really good site and he has awesome Packers stories and he's really connected. And he comes from a wholesome place, which I don't think a lot of journalists do these days. Tyler Dunn dropped this piece and I think some of these quotes show a generational gap, but also I think common sense. And I think we're lacking common sense here. So when Ron Wolf presents common sense, it's like, oh, what an old man, what a boomer. Well, no, I I actually think he's being smart about this. And I think common sense really goes to show how nonsensical this entire situation is. I want to share a couple of quotes with you. This first quote really lines up with something I hear a lot. And I've seen on the talking text line and I've seen on Twitter. It's the idea that Rodgers is paid to play quarterback and that's all he's paid to do. So personnel decisions, drafting decisions. No, it's paid to play quarterback. And Ron Wolf agrees with you. I'm going to read you this quote, but first I'm going to take a drink of water so my uh, reading out loud voice can be uh, 10 out of 10, if possible. One moment, please. Thank you. Mm. Yep, that's the stuff. The quote. Now, I'm really not sure what the deal is with Rodgers. What is upsetting him? In my opinion, you can't be in a better place. Everything is geared toward the player. Everything they do is about the player. That's the greatness of that franchise. To me, that's why it's been so successful. It's about playing football. That's all. It's not about any other thing. It's not about going to some owner's wife's tea party, this affair or that affair. It's about playing football and being a professional football player. That is all. That's really the greatness of the Packers. You can't top that anywhere. I don't understand why guys don't want to get better. Why don't you want to come in and have OTAs? Why don't you want to get better? Why don't you want to increase your salary impact? You have this God-given gift. Take advantage of it, right? Make yourself better, but today that's not the case. This just befuddles me. I don't understand it. Hmm. I like I, I, I like that logic, the idea that, well, Green Bay is a small town, so there's no distractions, and it's all about playing football, and these football players have a God-given gift, and they should just play football and be happy. Very, very good in theory, which has been, which has been a conversation we've had a couple of times the last few weeks about the Packers. Like, what they do in theory, and this idea in theory works really well, but when you bring in millionaires to the situation who have egos, right, and they have demands of how they want to play the game and what kind of situation they want to be in, well, then it gets a little bit money. It's not that simple, right? Rodgers is paid to play quarterback, and he's good at it, so we should just do that. Yes, in a perfect world, but that's not how the world works in 2021. And I think this quote shows a little bit of a generational gap from Ron Wolf. Yes, but I also just think it shows common sense, which is severely lacking in this situation. As I said, this is a battle of ego. This isn't a battle of common sense or wit. The second quote I want to read from you, uh, Ron Wolf, I think might be biased, but he believes that Green Bay is the best place in the NFL for players to come and play. 
makes an interesting argument. Let me read this to you. <clears throat> Quote, I mean, these guys want to go somewhere else, and I bet they're shocked when they go other places to see what they've given up leaving the Packers. That whole building is designed to benefit the player, and they're not asked to do anything but play football. To me, that's a very important thing. I don't know about anything about this new regime, but I assume that that hasn't changed. That in itself is enough right there. They're asking the guys to be representative, be professional football players, and play football. That's it. Everything else is taken care of. So Ron Wolf getting to this idea that you have everything laid out for you. They handle your food. They handle this. They handle that. They handle the other thing. You don't need to worry about anything other than play football, which I think is the dream of many Packers fans in this situation. Just shut up, put the jersey on, and go out and play, which once again, in theory, is great. But these guys aren't robots. They're human beings, and they're human beings with egos that occasionally get dinged, right? And that's what we're talking about here with Aaron Rodgers and with other players as well. Finally, commentary on Goody and his decision. And this is a quote that I want to chew on. And I want to take a break and come back to you to wrap up the show because I think it's really interesting. I like the logic, but I'm not sure that I agree with it in today's NFL. This is the quote and the decision of Brian Gutekinds to draft Jordan Love. This is what Ron Wolf says. You have to protect your operation and your organization. And if you have a guy who you think is good and you're willing to take him in the first round, you better take him regardless of the position. And there isn't a better person to take than a person at a position to protect your football team. And what I've read, they're really upset because the Packers didn't take a wide receiver. I mean, look, they're doing okay with wide receivers. His point being, you draft the quarterback because that's what protects your franchise. Wide receivers, wide receivers, basically. And they're doing okay in that department. If you, if you think the Packers are severely lacking a wide receiver, you're not watching. I think they could use another one or two guys. They got Amari Rodgers. I think they could use another weapon too, but it's not like it's the biggest sinkhole on their team. So Ron Wolf saying, hey, you get the right quarterback and everything else will take care of itself. And that's been the case in the NFL for a few years. You get the right head coach, the right quarterback, that's 80% of the battle. That's a huge edge. But I think in the modern NFL, that edge is shrinking. I don't think you get the same advantage over other franchises simply by just having a head coach and a quarterback and nothing else. And I will explain that. And we're also going to hear a little bit from our good friend, recurring guest, Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus, because I was listening to his podcast this week, and he made a comment that I wholeheartedly agree with, and I want to play that with you coming up next. This idea that, yes, quarterback is great, but it's not everything, and we shouldn't put all our eggs in that basket, as Brian Gutekinds has seemingly done. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. show final segment I'm done with work at six tonight I I've been putting work in this week so I can get done a little bit earlier I think I'm just gonna cruise around for 10 minutes before I go home listen to a couple Grateful Dead songs I have been very stressed this week and I think that sounds good I'm gonna unwind I'm gonna listen to a little Althea maybe working's working man's dead although that might be a little basic get lost in some live tracks or something we need to have Justin Garcia back on the show so we can ask her some Grateful Dead recommendations that's my bad and Bucks playoffs of court yeah that too We'll do that as well. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show. I don't know if I already said that. My name is Grant Bills. I don't know if I already said that as well, but if I did, well, now you know twice. On Twitter, at Wisco Grant, the talk and text line, 608-796-2558. Uh, Duke and Lacrosse says, just join this afternoon show. I love you. I love how you clarify. 
Uh, question slash clarification. Is anyone suggesting Bortles could be the starter if A-Rod holds out? He could, but the Packers wouldn't beat Madison West if he's the quarterback. He's a practice arm only, IMO. Yeah, at this point, I don't know that we can glean a ton from this. Um, it's definitely a stray from the norm for the Packers. They don't do things like this. I, I think it it would make sense for them over the last decade to go and get a backup like this, but they've preferred Tim Boyle, Deshaun Kaiser, Brett Hundley. This is definitely a stray from the norm. Yes, they need arms. I'm a little confused as to why they just didn't keep Tim Boyle if if they needed arms all along. I mean, Blake Bortles is cheap, and he knows Nathaniel Hackett's system, so sure. Um, to act like this means nothing, I think that's a little naive and maybe a, a, a little dash of denial. Um, but no, I, I don't think that this this proves that Aaron Rodgers is gone or coming back or anything. But it's something to watch, and I think a lot of Packers fans are in denial about that. Final segment of the show, final couple of minutes, and I want to get in an idea that Ron Wolf said at the end of his interview with Tyler Dunn about Gutekunst selecting a quarterback in the first round despite having Aaron Rodgers. He said this, you have to protect your operation, protect your organization. Right? Saying if you have an opportunity to get a quarterback, you shield your organization from any turbulence or any any you know failure because you have your quarterback. And this is the idea that's prevailed, I think, in the NFL for 10 years or more, probably aging farther a lot back. I can't speak to it. I don't know how smart football fans were and, and analysts were in the 90s, 80s, 70s. But especially, I'd say, from 2000 and now, it's very clear that some franchises have tried to get an edge by simply having a head coach and a quarterback. The Packers, the Saints, the Steelers, at times the 49ers. It's been about, let's get a great head coach, let's get a great quarterback. The Seahawks in the early Pete Carroll years as well, right? That gets you 80% of the way there. Here I am to say, however, that I think in the newer age NFL, having a quarterback and a head coach isn't the edge it used to be. It's still a huge component of your football team, but it hardly gets you to the finish line. And I think the Miami Dolphins are a great example of that. The Miami Dolphins were garbage, and they were able to rebuild and turn it around very, very quickly. And I want to play from you a 25-second clip of our friend Eric Eager on the, the PFF Forecast podcast talking about the lesson that we should take away from the Dolphins in the modern NFL and the way that you can go from good to bad to good in short order. Let this be a lesson to every single team in the NFL. 2018 Dolphins were 7-9, a very bad 7-9. Like fundamentally a four-win team that won seven games. They fire Adam Gase. They tank for not even one season, for one half of one season. And a year and a half later, here they are, not only competing, but also, like, still, like, building. The Dolphins are also showing that they can compete and rebuild while also trying to figure out if they have a quarterback or not. Like, is Tua really the guy? If not, we have more first-round picks next year. We can package some, or we can move around, or find a guy, or trade for a guy. The Dolphins are this amazing example of why I don't think NFL fans and teams should be terrified of being bad. I think there's this belief that if you ever are without a quarterback, you're screwed and you're doomed for 20 years like the Packers were in the 70s, 80s. No, you might be doomed for a season or two. The Dolphins, it took half a season, right? Where the Dolphins stripped it down. They traded with the dumb teams only, right? Like the uh, like the, the Texans and the Steelers. And they got back a great haul. And now they're right back in the thick of things. And I think there's this persistent belief, especially with Packers fans, because of the way the organization has moved since the 60s, right? They were bad for an entire two decades. And I think a lot of people believe that they were bad for two decades because Bart Starr retired and they didn't have another answer. Quarterback is a huge deal. Yes, 
But do you have the structure in place? Are you a sound organization to make sound decisions? Because the NFL is a GM's dream in that you can take a bad team and make it good immediately because the draft is super impactful, unlike in baseball or in basketball, where it's literally a lottery. And baseball, you have levels and levels and levels of minor leagues. You have like 30 rounds of the draft or whatever the number is. It's ridiculous. Football, you can have one bad year, one good draft, and you're back in the mix the next year. So I want to caution Packers fans from thinking it's quarterback or bust. Either Jordan Love is good or we're terrible for 20 years. I don't think that's the way football works anymore. I think 80% of football used to be having the right quarterback and the right head coach. And I think having the right quarterback head coach is still a huge edge. I think that's a huge percentage of building your football team. But it's not as big as it used to be. And I think we would be wise to start thinking about football slightly differently. Start to think, you know what? Like, it's not the end of the world to take a step back for half a season, to reload for the upcoming season, to build for the future. The Dolphins are a great example. They were terrible. And now they're right back in the thick of things in a competitive division, competitive conference. Just something to chew on. Enjoy the Brewer game tonight. There's another one tomorrow. So hopefully we're talking about two Brewers wins tomorrow on the show. Same time, same place. You're on the Wisco Sports Show. Enjoy your night, your day tomorrow. I'll talk to you then.